Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. For the first time, Utah voters are participating in the Super Tuesday presidential primaries this year. Ballots are already arriving. In the days leading up to the primary, we're interested in hearing what you're thinking, the factors you're considering in making your decision on how to vote. And we'd love to hear from you. So uh, here are the ways to reach us. You can call us, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. You can email us, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us. Uh, We're at upraxcess, at upraxcess. Love to hear what issues are important to you, um, which candidate you're thinking about uh, supporting and why and uh, perhaps which candidates you're opposing and why. Uh, This is exciting uh, Utah part of Super Tuesday now, and uh, perhaps actually relevant this time around. Um, So we're going to talk about this later in the program. We'll have Jonathan Choate with us. Uh, He, you'll remember about four years ago, about this time, uh, he was the Republican Party official in the county. He resigned that post uh, in protest over what was beginning to seem increasingly like a a Trump nomination, which in fact happened. Um, We'll have Michael Lyons from USU's Political Science Department. A little bit later here in this hour, we'll have Shelley Giddings, Vice Chair of the Cache County Republican Party. Uh, Right now, we uh, bring in UPR News Director Maddie Mortensen. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tom. So, Maddie, you've been uh, with your reporters talking with uh, Utah voters, both in Cache Valley and other parts of the state this week. What have you been hearing? Yeah, so last week on Monday, I talked with some attendees outside of the Pete Buttigieg Town Hall in Salt Lake City. So there I was talking to some voters from around the Salt Lake Valley, also some Utah County voters. And on Tuesday last week, one of our reporters, Kat Webb, she chatted with some people who attended the um, Cache County Town Hall for Republican gubernatorial candidate, Thomas Wright. Also, I've been gathering pre-election thoughts from Cache County residents and UPR listeners through social media. So I'm sure you can imagine I've got comments that cover a wide political spectrum from Trump supporters who are really looking forward to voting for him um, and for his second term, but also maybe some people whose number one election priority is voting for someone that they feel can beat the president. Um, so what, what particular stood out to you? Yeah, so let me just start a little bit with what I've been hearing from some of the more conservative voters. So... Um, Like I said, there are Utahns who are really excited to vote for the president's second term. One of the people who reached out to me on social media, his name is Courtney Hale, and he's from Logan. And he said that for him, the Second Amendment is one of the biggest election issues. And other reasons he's supporting the president include the current economy, um, the president's trade deals, and building a wall at the southern border. Mm. Um, And as you and probably our listeners know, the president's approval ratings are higher in Utah than they've been. In 2016, he took less than half the state's vote. But at the beginning of February, over half of Utahns approved the president. Mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to share from Facebook was um, from Gina Worthen, who's a Republican Cache County Council member. And this is what she said. "Um, It will be interesting to see what this election brings. In 2016, Utah Republicans weren't too keen on Trump and overwhelmingly chose Ted Cruz. While some Republicans have remained never-Trumpers, the president has gained more support in Utah. People like what he's doing, not necessarily what he's tweeting, though. For instance, Senator Mike Lee is heading up his campaign in Utah, but voted for McMullen last time. And I asked Gina why she thought this was happening and she said that she thinks he's gaining favor in the state because of the economy um, impeachment conservative judges and also that she feels like when people 
the people she's saying um, have a sense of optimism, that he mm. gives them a sense of optimism, his appeal to mm. the common man. So impeachment, uh, do, do, do I take that to mean that uh, some Republicans feel like Democrats overreached with yeah. impeachment? Okay. They feel like it, mm. I gathered from what Gina was saying, they feel like that Democrats are always trying to have it happen and that maybe it kind of, that she feels like it backfired, that people feel like it was kind of a waste of time when there are other priorities that should have been addressed. Um, there are, though, kind of as Council Mother, Member Worthen said, there are Republicans who still don't support the president. And so I have a quote I wanted to play from a member of the USU College Republicans Club, and his name is Dylan Passmore. And what he really talked about showed maybe the conflicting issue that Trump can be within the Republican Party, why there are people who maybe, like Gina said, don't love his tweeting, but are favoring some of those policies. All right, well, let's hear this. I think the thing is, is a lot of the people within the Republican Party, they might feel alienated by the way Donald Trump speaks. They might feel alienated by what he says on Twitter. But at the end of the day, they'll feel more alienated by a lot of the policies that the Democrats are pushing forward, like Medicare for all, um, student loan forgiveness, those types of things, which on their face value aren't necessarily bad intentions or bad things, but the actual specifics really alienate a lot of voters and make them feel uncomfortable in terms of, well, how are we structuring the economy? How is this going to affect me as an individual? Yada, and you can go through this list. But yeah, at the end of the day, a lot of Republican voters, although they feel alienated by Trump's actions or the way he speaks, don't necessarily feel alienated by his policies and the actual things he's done within his first term. And so it's hard to be like, well, if you don't like Trump, why don't you just vote Democrat? It's like, well, I don't really believe in anything they're saying. So that's where he's from the uh, the college Republicans, college Republicans. Okay. campus. Yeah. yeah. So he's talking about uh, fiscal responsibility. Yeah, right? and I think that's interesting. I think it really falls in line with what Gina was saying. Like yeah. he said, there are people that don't connect with what the president's Trump president's tweeting, but yeah. they also do not connect with the policies that are being brought forth by the Democratic. Um, party. And so I think that maybe shows where some of that conflict is happening for voters in the state. Yeah. Well, let me bring in um, uh, right here, we'll continue with Maddie uh, Mortensen. We'll bring in Shelly Giddings now from the uh, vice chair of the Cache County Republican Party. Uh, the people you're talking to, this uh, so Democrats uh, would almost certainly say, uh, okay, Republicans, the big tax uh, reform bill um, blew out the deficit. And <laughs> Republican <laughs> Party, from our point of view, you know, you're you're not really walking the walk when you talk about fiscal responsibility. Is this still a, a an issue that resonates? Is that their Republicans are wanting fiscal responsibility? Oh, definitely. Um, I think that the all of the signatures that were that were gathered throughout the state of Utah um, for the tax reform referendum shows us that you know. People, people are definitely yeah. yeah they want fiscal oh, responsibility. I'm, I'm sorry, we're talking about the national, okay. the, the, the tax cuts. Okay, I, I the tax cuts. So the okay. tax cuts. So uh, Democrats would say, all right, now now the mask is off. Right. Uh, this proves that the, the Republicans and President Trump don't really care about uh, fiscal responsibility. Right. And but I think this is what happens when you give tax cuts. When you give tax cuts to corporations businesses, they expand. 
And what happens when they expand? They hire more people, which is why unemployment is the lowest that it has been, I think, right now, they said since the 50s. Um, so anybody who wants a job has a job, right? Um, so I think that that can be the argument. Um, yeah, there are tax cuts, you know, but those tax cuts make jobs. They bring jobs. They bring people uh, employment. And so then they therefore can put more money into the economy. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and so the people you're talking to, they're, they're um, um, at least in the, in, the, in the Cache County, they're feeling good about what the president of the National Republicans have done. Yes. Uh, on, on for the, the most part. For yeah, the most yeah, part. Uh-huh. We do still have people, um, like has been mentioned, that they will never like anything the president does mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, but I, th- what I'm seeing is that those are few and far between. Mm-hmm. And there may have been some at the very beginning uh, in t- 2016 that w- said that they were never Trumpers, you know, that phrase that we have. But they have seen his results, mm-hmm. and they are going to vote for him. Okay. So you're seeing some never-Trumpers, quote-unquote, move now mm-hmm. to, to support Absolutely. the Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is reflected in the polls in Utah. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, uh, somebody, I wonder if you've talked to anybody who's um, kind of moved it, because there's the president's policies, and then there's the president's personality. Uh, sometimes that's used the code word tweets. <laughs> which the our, our college Republican used, right? Um, which is kind of code for, okay, the president perhaps has an unpleasant personality. Right. So I think kind of what Dylan said and also the quotes I shared from Gina kind of showed that there is that idea. And also then, you know, I shared the comment, though, from Courtney at the beginning, and he's someone who's really excited about the president. And then what Gina and Dylan spoke to maybe spoke for people that feel really good about policies. But like you said, not personality and tweets. And I would be really actually curious in hearing from Shelley if that's a trend she's noticing and maybe where she feels if there is a larger group of Republicans in Cache County, maybe what side they're landing in of kind of those two camps. I'm sure you could divide it more, but those seem like two camps in the comments that I've been receiving. Right. And I have to tell you, I've, I've been kind of, I was in that camp at first. Um, but I think you have to separate personality with his results. Uh, he was elected because of who he is. He was elected because people thought, well, he's going to be different. He's not going to be your regular politician, and he's going to do things differently, and that's what he's done, and we've seen the results. And so here in Cash Valley, I have seen just what you said. We don't like him. He, we don't like his tweets, but we do like what he's doing. And so I think... Again, you just have to overlook that personality part of it. And I know that there are people that will not. And I have talked to people who will not. And I don't. Republicans? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Republicans. Yeah. Definitely. I've talked to many independents who we're, are going to vote for him mm-hmm. regardless. Um, again, it's the results. You know, that's what we have. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And I think in Cash Valley, voters are smart. They know that free market 
policies are what help us, what help us to prosper. They understand that that's what he's he's about. So I think that we do have that faction, I guess, that you could say of people who don't like his tweets but are growing to support him who may have not supported him before. Mm. I'd like to uh, move beyond the tweets, you know, that's the style, the brashness, the, you know, um, what Democrats would call indecency, you know, moving beyond brashness, mm-hmm. um, to uh, what Democrats would see as and have seen uh, through impeachment as severe constitutional issues. Um, I wonder what Republicans that you're talking to are saying about, about impeachment, because Democrats, many Democrats are saying that this is a dangerous president. Uh, he, he is stomping all over norms and, in fact, breaking laws and, uh, and will leave constitutional troubles in his wake. What are uh, Republicans saying? Republicans are saying that that's not true. <laughs> Republicans are saying that, you know, the Democrats can say all they want that he's breaking laws, but the proof has shown that laws have not been broken. So that's what that's what the Republicans are going to say. And so the Republicans you've talked to, I assume if they have that attitude, they're they're thinking, oh, the Democrats overreached. And mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, do they feel that this will help the president uh, in the election? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I feel it will, too. I've talked to people. I've talked to Democrats who have said, this is ridiculous. Um, they are overreaching. Why are they spending so much time and money on this phony impeachment instead of doing the work of the people? Um, and of course, the the uh, Democrats would say, um, uh, you know, the deadlock in Washington is is uh, is not just one party's fault. What, <laughs> but but Republicans are blaming the Democrats. I think so. I mm-hmm. think that that's kind of how that goes, right? We blame each mm-hmm. other all of the time, which we probably should not do. <laughs> but I, you know, and you're right. It It is both parties. It takes both parties. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. But, yeah. you know, it's, I think that that's just, that's kind of the game. Yeah. Whoever has the power, the other party is blaming them for the deadlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, a follow-up question. Um, we, we've talked about the probably at least the ones you're talking to uh, about impeachment. Um, based on what you've said, I can kind of guess what those those Republicans' view of Mitt Romney is. Um, uh, well, maybe you could <laughs> tell me. Uh, now he doesn't have to face the voters again for another four years, right? And who it, maybe things will have blown over by then. But if the election were held today, we'd be in trouble getting the nomination. You know what? I'm not sure he would. There are a very large number of Republicans who are very upset at Mitt Romney for what he's done. But I've also talked to and heard from a lot of Republicans who support him. Um, so I don't know. I it's hard to it's hard to predict that. I think in four years people are going to forget, and voters seem to have short memories. Mm-hmm. So I think he's probably going to be okay. Yeah, it, it's a funny it's a funny world we live in nowadays. Uh, when you say that, I, I I think I agree. I nod my head. Voters have short memories, but um, boy, nowadays it seems like the memories are lengthening out. I don't know. So you think that 
four years, four years is a long time <laughs> in politics, right? Four years is a long time in mm-hmm. politics, and he could he could redeem himself. Yeah, you know who knows what'll happen in those four years, but yeah. it's hard to say. I know that there are um, people who want to push a recall. We don't have the recall here in Utah, but there's actually legislate legislator right now who's trying to put in a bill to to be able to recall senators and yeah. it's for mm-hmm. it's for this purpose right. and i don't think it has a lot of support yeah interesting uh so maddie mortensen what what else have you been you, you, you talked to quite a few voters yeah so kind of, this would be kind of switching gears a little bit but i think it's been interesting too to know that i have talked to some conservative voters or some people that said they would have formerly formerly identified as a conservative voter but that they have requested a democratic ballot for this election and i thought that was interesting um in utah um i'm not sure if listeners know republican primaries are closed you need to be affiliated with that party to vote in it um democratic primaries are not closed anyone can vote in a democratic primary as long as they request that ballot and so when I was at the town hall I talked with someone who told me that he is a registered Republican Um, he considers himself a very moderate voter though so he requested a Democratic ballot because he said that the environment is one of his top issues and so it sounds like maybe the Democratic candidates are speaking to more of his concerns on that being a top issue I also received a message on Facebook from someone who is from the area, from the Valley. Her name is Alyssa, and she says she's an unaffiliated ex-Republican, and she feels like um, Trump exposed the Republican Party as a party of greed and corruption. She says she voted for Evan McMullen last time, and even though she doesn't fully agree with the Democratic platform, um, she is behind Mayor Putin. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And so if he gets the nomination, she will be voting um, for him in the presidential election. Mm. And then I wanted to play a clip from someone who also told me that he was a conservative, has usually voted Republican, but is now switched to the Democratic Party because of some of the frustration. So that's a clip from Joseph Corbett, who lives in Hiram. I already turned in my ballot for the, the Democratic primary. I voted for Mayor Pete. Um, this is actually the f- very first time I've voted in the Democratic primary. I've always done the Republican primaries, but I just have not been real happy with the direction of the party, specifically with the president. So kind of people like this, it's um, definitely has been a significant portion of people and it almost seems like it might be fair to describe them as politically homeless i think some of them are really happy to make the move that direction i think from some of these people like Alyssa, it sounds like the move isn't necessarily fulfilling everything she wants but staying wasn't fulfilling what she wanted either mm, interesting uh i wonder if you talk to anybody um i guess that's something we'll be looking at in the future um people who maybe aren't satisfied with Trump or don't want to stay in the Republican Party, but don't want to go all the way over to the Democrats. We do have the United Utah Party mm-hmm. uh, in in Utah, maybe a halfway measure, but they, I don't know. They don't seem to be gaining a whole lot of traction. Uh, it seems like our institutions and our, and our electoral setup is set up for two parties. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I think you sometimes have that third party that does try to become significant, but they just can't. And I think that that is because of the attitude. Well, if I join that, then I'm kind of going to, in a way, be disenfranchised. Like I'm, my vote's not going to count, I think is a big attitude that people have. So they stay either Republican or Democrat and they won't move. Yeah. 
So it's interesting that you bring up the United Utah Party. I talked to the chair on Friday, kind of in some of Uh my preparation. And I think it was interesting to hear what he said. He's like, you know, we don't have a national candidate. We don't have a dog in the fight. He said, technically, our party members can vote in the Democratic primary. Kind of as talking to him, I'm not sure if that's something a lot of people are doing. He, of course, was said, you know, we're not um, endorsing a candidate. Clearly, that would be contrary to what we're doing. And he told me a little bit that um, it's interesting kind of talking about the two parties. He said, you know, sometimes in Utah, though, um, we don't even have a second candidate running on the ballot, maybe in areas where the Republicans have a stronger presence than maybe when we're on the Wasatch Front. And um, it looks just different than it does in other parts in the state. And so it sounds like they are gaining maybe some traction, definitely slower and definitely not going to be the same. But he... um, in some ways, I think sounds like he feels like they're not so much a third party as in some areas of the state where they're gaining some traction as maybe even just a second party just because of how ballots can look in the state. So I do mm. think that that is providing an alternative. But like we said, we have an institutional setup that and this is something that the chair was really you know, talking about. We have an institutional setup that doesn't necessarily just lead to you don't like this you don't like this come here it's not how the system's designed necessarily parliamentary system would uh, allow a lot of parties you know but but our system is kind of a a, you know either or uh jennifer invernal has called us Uh, jennifer glad you called uh go ahead with your question or comment uh i'll uh just uh, just a moment i'll alert uh, shelly to put on her headphones so she can hear this okay uh, jennifer go ahead yeah okay so i noticed your guests are young um, I have uh, so many things running through my head right now, but I'm wondering if either of them remember studying Nikita Khrushchev and a threat that he made, um, obviously a long time before they were born, about taking down America without firing a shot. And I wonder if either of them found it the least bit disturbing that um, Trump would stand in front of the whole world and say, I believe Putin over my own uh, intelligence uh, community regarding Russian meddling in the election. Hmm. Um, That would not have, that would have been pretty big news back in the days of Cleon Skousen and other rabid anti-communists. And I'm wondering why there's all this fuss about socialism um, when we're welcoming Putin to the White House, but um, not Zelensky. This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Plus, what Trump did to Marie Yovanovitch was mind-boggling. Um, why is, and they're talking about the economy. And, um, yeah, sure, people have jobs, but they're crappy jobs. We have lots of people who work full-time and they're homeless. Why, why is there this embracing of Trump's economy and total um, uh, lack of acknowledgement that, that he's, he's inviting uh, someone to the White House? We never, I mean, this, this is mind-boggling to those of the, us who lived through the, the, the Red Scare thing. Do they not know anything about this? What is going on here? And why... Yeah, the emoluments clause is in the Constitution, and this president violated it blatantly and uh, continues uh, to violate uh, it. Why is there nothing? And, and uh, uh, the golf trips, 
and Ivanka. What is she doing at the Taj Mahal? This is all crazy. And they, uh, they Jennifer, don't seem the least bit bothered by this. Uh, I will I will direct this to Shelley, Shelley Giddings. Uh, uh, Jennifer, I will sure. direct this to Shelley Giddings, uh, your various points. I want to, before we let you go, uh, Jennifer, yeah. um, you're, uh, you're, are you going to be voting in the Democratic uh, side? And who, who, I, who are you supporting? I have, I've never, I have never done it before. Uh-huh. Um, I'm constantly accused of being a Democrat. Yeah. I have never been a Democrat. I did vote for Evan McMullen. He did come out here, okay? And he kept saying, I believe all men are created equal. I mean, and Trump doesn't believe that, okay? So I voted for Evan McMullen and was accused of, well, I couldn't vote for Hillary Clinton because she's got a, she and her husband have a criminal record that goes back quite a ways. But but the point is, I'm stuck now. Well, just, you know, 120 years ago, most LDS people were Democrats. People, uh, I mean, as Trump would say, who knew that, right? But the idea right. is there is this, this herd mentality here um, where if the person you go to church with is going to go ahead and put up with Trump's juvenile behavior, then I guess I should, too. Mm. We can't do that. This man has disruption in and of itself is not a good thing. There has to be some purpose to the disruption. Mm. And the purpose has been to make filthy rich people richer and full-time workers living in their cars because you can't make ends meet on 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 wages that are being paid. So this is not a great economy for a lot of people. Okay, know? well well let's uh, yeah, let's uh, Jennifer uh, thank so you so sorry much. That I'm so emotional. I'm oh. sorry, but it's like well, so please, will you look at what's going on here? Well, you, you, uh, Jennifer, you, you represent probably a, a a majority of the polls to be believed in the country. So, thank you for that uh, viewpoint. Oh, thank sorry. you. Sorry, I'm so upset. Yeah. I just, I just want these girls to read up. Also, yeah. can I please recommend Timothy Snyder? Spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe. His very small book on is called On Tyranny. And and it's really quick reading. Please have them read that book, okay? On help. tyranny, on tyranny. Okay, we'll on we'll recommend tyranny. it. Okay, yes. thanks, okay. Jennifer. Thank thanks you. for the Thank viewpoint. You. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so let me. Uh, you're the Republican official in the room here, um, Shelley. So let me have you respond to. And yeah, we could we could do. The, I'm sure you talk to people, and we have talked a little bit about this. What you're hearing there is, I mean, it's very real. Uh, represents many Democrats and how they're feeling. A L- lot of passion, you know, uh, hatred of Trump and and uh, see him as a real danger. Um, so let me start well, with it. The, sounds like she was someone, too, mm-hmm. that maybe doesn't consider herself a Democrat, but right. feeling kind of yeah. feeling maybe kind of those. So I misspoke there. Not even a Democrat, yeah, but, but a, it sounds saying. like she's an independent yeah. at this point. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's mm-hmm. a typical thing here in Utah. Because in Utah, typically, you can't win an election unless you're Republican. Yeah. And so we actually do have many politicians in Utah who lean maybe more liberal, more Democrat, but they associate with the Republican Party to get elected. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I think that's kind of probably different than in any other state. Uh, anyway, but and I, I just want to thank Jennifer for saying that she thought that I was young because yeah. I am not young. <laughs> <laughs> young sounding, young sounding. So I want to uh, for the the Republicans. You you know you move in Republican circles, and it sounds like from our previous conversation this hour uh, that as I tick these off, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
pro-Putin when the Republican Party has always been, uh, you know, anti-Russia. And this seems to be a preference of the presidents and the Republican Party, by and large, has come along. Uh, the economy, yes, good economy, but not so great jobs, at least uh, many Democrats would say. Uh, concerned about the emoluments clause and self-dealing with, with the president is what they charge. Uh, you know, a long list of uh, charges here. Uh, any concern about those among the Republican Party? Um, that's a good question. I think as far as Putin and Russia are concerned, I don't think that the Republican Party embraces Putin or Russia. I think that we are suspicious. Um, if you will look... But the president seems to be the opposite. So you feel like the... Not necessarily. The president, if you look, every president has... Obama had Putin to the White House. President Bush had Putin to the White House. He's a world leader. We invite world leaders to the White House. We, I guess, I guess, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, the, I think the the heartburn comes as Jennifer says, um, uh, Trump saying, "I believe Putin on some of these issues over my own intelligence agencies," and uh, I don't know if George W. Bush would have said that. I don't know that. Here's the thing about Trump, how that we we have to remember is that he says a lot of things. And he says a lot of things that he doesn't necessarily believe himself. Um, it's been said that he said that because he wants to have that relationship with Putin. You know, you don't want to make him mad, <laughs> right? We have to be careful. We have to still have some um, I don't, diplomacy with him, whether we trust him or not. So I don't know that the president... Again, the president does say a lot of things, and he says a lot of things that, if you look at his actions, they are different. Um, and again, I think it was in the name of diplomacy. I don't, I don't believe that the president believed Putin over his own intelligence agencies. But I don't know. I don't know him, and I can't speak for him. But that, if you look at his actions as opposed to his words, sometimes they don't match up. Mm. And I know that that gives people heartburn, and I understand that. Yeah. But in terms of the uh, way that Republicans are going to vote, it seems like Republicans are pretty solid and more solid this time around than 2016 behind Trump. I agree. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, let's see. Chris in St. George called in, said he agreed with everything Jennifer said. She said everything he's been thinking for the past uh, month. Um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of those sentiments out there and the Mon Gregory has, uh, has, uh, emailed us, uh, Mon is in Southern Utah. Most of, uh, most of us Utahns who are against Trump, yes, we're offended at his racism and history of sexual predation, but we're equally disturbed by his flagrant lawbreaking, his undermining of the Department of Justice and other American institutions, his policies that ignore the threat of climate change, erase longstanding protections for wilderness and sacred Native American sites in Utah, criminalize immigrants and detain them, including children in un unhealthy living conditions, support Putin and other dictators around the world, and redistribute wealth from working class to middle class citizens. Citizens uh, to the most wealthy. That's Mon. So thanks, thanks for that. Uh, let me, while we're at it here, I want to get this in from Catherine in Logan. This can make me make us. Well, let me wait for this. We're after the break because this will get us in transition about what people are thinking in the Democratic primary. Why don't yeah. we do that? And before the break, really quick, mm -hmm. kind of just with the general feeling, it seems like in some of these comments that I've been gathering, that we've been sharing on the news, there seems to be some frustration maybe with the gridlock, but even 
with the lack of civility. And so this is from a woman in Logan. Her name's Kathleen. She says that she's in her 76th year. Um, She remembers back to the 1952 Eisenhower-Stevenson election, and her parents were actively involved in that. Uh, She says, I've always been interested in politics. Her husband was friends with President Ford. Um, They met during World War II. And she just says that I do not understand the ugliness in today's Washington, D.C. I don't know what can be done to bring civility back to our government. I wonder sometimes if it can be brought back to as how it was when I was fortunate to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, civility seems to be, you know, a lot of a lot of people are decrying that Uh, the people you talk to in Republican circles, are they? Concerned about this as well? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think social media has contributed, I believe, you know. Um, but they are definitely concerned. We do need to, we need to be able to talk to each other. And I think one-on-one or maybe, you know, five-on-five or whatever, when you're in a group face-to-face, I think that people probably are more civil to each other. But you get on social media and it seems like they become more emboldened and say things that maybe they wouldn't say face to face. And I think that's probably where we see most of the, the issues. I have Democrat friends and we get along. Um, we'll talk politics and sometimes we won't. But and, you know, we can have good discussions I give them my viewpoints, they give me theirs, and we can discuss it and be civil. And yeah. that's, we really do need to to get back to that. Yeah. Well, it is heartening that you can still have those discussions mm-hmm. in today's climate. Okay. Well, let's take a break. We've neglected that for a while. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll be back. We'll be bringing into the discussion Jonathan Choate, a former Republican official in, in uh, Cache County, and Michael Lyons, Associate Professor of uh, Political Science at Utah State University. We're looking ahead to Super Tuesday. This is the first time Utah has been a part of this, and uh, Maddie Martinson's with us as well. She's uh, been talking to voters and recording some of their comments as well. We'll have more following this. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Herald Journal, your in-depth source of local Cache Valley news, delivering local, state, and national news directly to your home, offering online and U.S. mail newspaper delivery. Information at hjnews.com or at 752-2121. Utah Public Radio would like to thank the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau, the Sportsman, Beezer Lock and Key, and the Herald Journal, and My Mattress for supporting Charlie's in the House on UPR. I would also like to thank you, our listeners, for your support. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor, email debbie.andrew at usu.edu. Remember, you can listen and contribute on our UPR app or at upr.org. UPR's Spring Member Drive is coming up March 26th through April 2nd, and we need your help to make it happen. UPR is a listener-supported station, which means every day of the year we rely on you to make our programming possible. During our member drives, your support is even more vital, and it's not just your financial donations. Throughout the entire member drive, we also need volunteers to answer phones and record donations for us. Volunteering your time is a great way to support UPR, so sign up for a volunteer shift today at upr.org. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU's College of Engineering, celebrating 30 years of the Engineering State Summer Camp, June 1st through the 4th in Logan. Hands-on workshops on solar energy, microengineering, electric cars, and more. Registration and information is at estate.usu.edu. 
Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. For the first time, Utah voters are participating in the Super Tuesday presidential primaries this year. Ballots are already arriving. And in the days leading up to the primary, now we're interested in hearing what you're thinking, the factors you're considering making your decision to vote. Uh, we had with us earlier Shelley Giddings, vice chair of the Cache County Republican Party. Uh, we heard from uh, Jennifer and Vernal, uh, Chris in St. George, uh, Mon in southern Utah. And we've been hearing from some uh, voters that uh, our news director, Maddie Mortensen, has been talking to as well. So uh, thanks for, for doing that, Maddie. Now we bring in Jonathan Choate, who's with uh, SD7 Technologies. Did I get that right, Jonathan? Yep, yes. In, uh, in Logan. Uh, about four years ago, you were a Republican Party official in Cache County. That's correct. And then as Trump looked like he was securing the nomination, you resigned from that post. That is correct. In, in protest. Okay, so it would be interesting to get your, your viewpoint to this time around. Michael Lyons is Associate Professor of Political Science at Utah State University. Thank you. Pleased to be here, Tom. Um, so let me uh, begin this uh, segment by reading this email that we got from Catherine in Logan. Catherine says, I'm a young voter with only a little bit of experience voting in primaries and presidential elections, but I've had a lot of additional stress in selecting the candidate I'll vote for in this primary. A lot of the energy I feel for my friends and peers and the Democratic Party in general is that we need to select not just a candidate we like best or even necessarily the one we think will do the best job as president, but instead the candidate who will have the best shot at beating Trump. I see it as the Democratic Party's attempt at being more strategic and less idealistic, but I don't think we're doing a very good job. It feels very disjointed and increasingly fragmented. I've heard the adage every four years, the Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. This feels very true right now as I read uh, people on Twitter making comments like, I'll vote for Bernie or nothing. If Bernie doesn't get the nomination, then I'm not even going to bother voting. Or I don't care if Bloomberg gets the nomination, I'll never vote for him. Meanwhile, the Republican Party seems to have rallied with undying loyalty to Trump, despite the fact that he's in many ways uh, very unlike uh, traditional Republican values. The stakes feel much higher than in any other election I've voted in. I'm worried about how uh, to vote in the smartest and most strategic way possible to ensure we don't uh, get another four years of Trump. Uh, so, Maddie, I, I'm hearing a lot of that as well. Are you hearing that as well? Yeah, I heard that. I mentioned earlier that I went and interviewed voters outside of the Pete Buttigieg town hall last week, and I definitely heard some people that said, that's my priority. I asked people what their priority was, what the top issue was for them, and that was it. Um, and just kind of with that, it seems, too, that both at the town hall and in Facebook, social media, I've been gathering that lots of Utah um, Democrats or more moderate voters are interested in a mo more moderate candidate. Um, I recognize that talking at Buttigieg's town hall will definitely taint mm. what I gathered to that direction, right? But um, it's interesting, though, because the poll that the Salt Lake Tribune conducted and put out a month ago was saying that Bernie was leading in the state. Um, so there's maybe a disconnect connect there in the voters that I was gathering information, but also the polling. I know that location can affect that. If we were in Salt Lake and more of the interviewing was happening in Salt Lake, we might might shift more that direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Mike Lyons, um, it, it, from the polling and, and from the results so far, it looks like the, the nomination is sort of shifting Bernie Sanders' way, uh, and, and that's causing a big freakout among the moderate uh, uh, Democrats, I think, because of this electability. Well, I want to commend your listener whose uh, observation on the state of the election was extremely astute, in my view. And uh, Bernie Sanders is clearly the front runner for the nomination right now. And there are good reasons to question whether or not he can win the election in 2020 against Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. um, 
the odds are probably against it, although we have learned to be very cautious about predicting anything mm-hmm. in presidential politics. Yeah. I wonder what we're seeing from the polls. Uh, if a Democrat is thinking about electability, uh, who, who has a better chance, maybe? That's the difficult thing. All of the major Democratic candidates, from an electoral standpoint, have significant liabilities. Joe Biden um, has performed poorly in the debates, I would say. Um, Elizabeth Warren is almost as liberal as Bernie Sanders is. Bernie Sanders is a self-described socialist. Pete Buttigieg is gay and young and relatively inexperienced. And Amy Klobuchar uh, definitely has appeal in certain ways, and ideologically, I think she's a strong candidate. But there are questions about her ability to stand side by side on a debate stage with Donald Trump, and she just isn't resonating that much with that many Democratic voters. So um, it's a troubling situation. I, I am impressed by the ingenuity of the Democratic Party. It appears that it may have found yet another new way to lose an election. <laughs> and the Democrats historically have been very good at this, inventing new ways to lose. Mm. Let me turn to Jonathan Choate. So, uh, first uh, question, um, you and I talked about four years ago. Yes. On the occasion of your, uh, you just couldn't stomach Trump, right? So you, you left the, the your, your um, post as a leadership post. Did you leave the Republican Party as well? I did. Yeah. Uh, do you continue to have heartburn about Trump? I, I do. Um, you know, it's, I think it's fairly obvious that there's, there's a lot of things that uh, are to dislike. Um, you know, one of the main reasons for choosing to leave at the time was we have, you know, we have a major political party that is electing somebody that has essentially no political track record. We only have to go on past statements and things like that. So that the, the potential for what it's going to be uh, was was very significant. And I'll say what I, some of the things I thought would happen have absolutely happened. You know, the inability to uh, control his communications, the, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that he's sort of the opposite of how you would normally take a politician in. You would, you treat what they say literally, but you don't necessarily take them seriously. He's the exact opposite. You take what he says seriously, but not literally. Um, I'm sure you've all met people like that, that they make statements that are grandiose. You know what they mean. You know what they're trying to say, but you can't ever take what they say literally. And he's that kind of person. So those are still things that drive me absolutely batty. Now, policy-wise, I was pleasantly surprised with what has actually come out of the administration. Again, not what the PR is, not what is, not what we hear about reported every day, but the actual policy changes um, that have come out of the administration have been, to, to my perspective, much better than I thought they could be. So, so there has, there's definitely been a balance there as far as what I expected could happen and what actually did happen. Mm. But I think I'm reading between the lines, lot, not enough for you to vote for Trump this time around, or, well, or no? Uh, truthfully, it really depends on who, who he's running against. Mm-hmm. Um, if it were a, now obviously he's already dropped out, but like an Andrew Yang or a Tulsi Gabbard or who would, I think it really is that very moderate side of the uh, Democratic Party. Yeah, I would probably almost certainly either not vote or vote third party. If it's Sanders, I will probably buy a MAGA hat. Mm. Um, only because what we're talking about then is a, a sea change. And we're not talking about variations on how we want to run our policies. That is a, 
you know, that is a change in the fundamental platform that the United States is, you know, to go from a from a, you know, variations on capitalism to an actual socialist, that's far too far that I could stomach. Mm. And again, not because I like Trump, but there are certain things that I just could not put up with. Mm. Professor Lyons, I'm, I'm wondering, uh, I'm thinking maybe I'm seeing a pair, if it's Sanders, I, I think maybe I'm seeing a parallel to the recent British election. Yes, the parallels are very close. And there are parallels to 2016 also. Uh, Sanders is emerging from a highly splintered or fragmented democratic field with a consistent message that appeals to a group that I think is a minority of Democrats, but it's a loyal minority, and he's capitalizing on how moderates within the Democratic Party are fragmented. This is exactly the same path to the nomination that Donald Trump followed in 2016. Mm -hmm. And in my view, it's a fundamental flaw in the nominating process. You know, I was listening uh, before I came on the air to the discussion that was occurring, and people were expressing frustration with the degree of polarization in United States politics. And there's a common source of many problems here. It is primary elections in the presidential nominating process and in the nomination of other candidates. It's a polarizing force. It enables people who have small cadres of intensely loyal followers who may be far, far removed from the political mainstream. It, it, it empowers these kinds of people consistently. Mm. Do you think uh, uh, um, extreme opposition or intense opposition to the other party's candidate can sometimes be a, a unifying force? Do you feel like that will work that way with the Democrats this time around? Well, you would imagine that it might, but it hasn't so far. And um, at, at this juncture, I agree with Nate Silver's analysis on the 538 website that Donald Trump probably is a favorite to win re-election. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders, he has Bernie Sanders as 50-50 at winning the Democratic nomination. And I believe that's probably correct. This will be an absolutely critical week. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden has been ahead in South Carolina. He has the loyalty of African-American voters. Bernie Sanders has been gaining. Biden's candidacy has been eroding. Should Sanders overtake Joe Biden in South Carolina on Saturday, it could be the end of the road for Joe Biden, and it could put Bernie Sanders in a position where no one is able to overtake him for the nomination. Uh, one would hope that there would be consolidation of the moderates around one candidate. The problem is there is not an obvious person there. I would really like to ask a follow-up question. You mentioned the role that primary elections play in this climate that we're seeing. And that's interesting because a few of the people who reached out to me on Facebook had some thoughts about ranked choice, ranked choice voting. They felt like that that was potentially a better alternative that could overcome some of this polarization we're seeing, some of these things where you have maybe some moderate candidates that are similar in some ways and people can choose, you know, this is in order of my favorite. And that he saw that as a way of overcoming some of the polarization. I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on ranked choice voting or some of these alternative forms that we hear as as maybe solutions or ways to combat some of the feelings people are having? Ranked choice voting would help to some degree, but if you look at what has happened to the Democratic Party in this election cycle and what the Republicans did in the previous election cycle, 
it wouldn't have made much difference or any difference at all. Um, again, the problem was such an enormous candidate field splitting time in televised debates, and in Donald Trump's case, domination of the media through outrageousness, and in Bernie Sanders' case, domination of the media with a ultra-liberal, almost socialist message that appeals to a relatively small cohort of Democrats. The primary election is the problem, and you can tweak the primary election to make it better, but the primary election, in my view, is the core of the problem. Hmm. Jonathan the Choate, uh, you, uh, how do you view voting? Do you view it strategically? You said if if uh, Bernie Sanders is the nominee, you're putting on a MAGA hat. Would you? So that's strategic, right? It, it, do you feel like if you were to vote Libertarian Party, uh, that would be throwing your vote away? Um, generally, no. Um, and and particularly, again, there is obviously strategy, and it depends where you are in the in the state of in the state of Utah, we're a supermajority uh, state. So there's not really you don't have to play a lot of well, if I vote for this person, then this person. You know, like a third party, then this person won't win because it's a close mix. No, I will. I will actually say I have never in my entire adult life uh, voted for one of the two primary candidates because we live in a supermajority state and it didn't matter. So I've almost always given it to a third party just to lend support. It's the third party has varied over time, but um, that doesn't. But you know, that's the way the electoral college works now. Where we have a much more talk about trying to remove the electoral college, I think this year is a little different as far as potentially trying to make sure that you are voting strategically, even if you know where your state is going to go, just so that we don't have the talk of, well, one person won the popular vote and another person won the electoral college. But yes, I think there has to be some strategy to your vote. Generally, I say, look, if somebody is 70% on board with what my policies are, I can I can eat that of the 30% and support somebody. Um, rarely have I actually found that candidate. So usually I end up voting for somebody else. Uh, from a third party. But in this case, there are there are certain candidates who I think are such an existential threat to our way of life that, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that lesser of two evils, which is not a choice I've generally made in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, we just have a couple minutes left. I, uh, I was going to bring up the Electoral College. Jonathan did. Um, it's, it's the last few years has been one party who's <laughs> been against the Electoral College because they've been harmed by it. Um, I don't think there's much chance of electoral college going away anytime soon, Professor. No, it's it's unlikely. And um, there is the national popular vote movement, which is an attempt to circumvent the electoral college. I think we've talked about this before on the air. Um, states are joining a compact where they pledge to cast their electoral vote for the winner of the national popular vote without regard for who happens to win that particular state. And states now, with about 170 electoral votes, have joined this compact, but the compact doesn't take effect. It's not triggered until the states that have signed on cast more, or cast 270 electoral votes or more, and getting the remaining states is going to be exceedingly difficult. So I think that effort will fall short. Um, It only takes 13 states to block a constitutional amendment to change the Electoral College or eliminate it. It's pretty easy to point to 13 states that like the Electoral College right where it is right now. Mm. 
Just to have one minute left, uh, I'm going to give you the last word. What, what, how would you sum up what you've been hearing, especially on the Democratic side? So I was going to say, what I would sum up from what I've been hearing on the Democratic side, and once again, I recognize that this may not line up with the polling in the state, but what I've seen in comments is a lot of excitement about more moderate candidates, and specifically Pete Buttigieg mm-hmm. has been a lot of who people on Facebook were sharing with me that they were interested in. But I recognize that in different areas of the state, that's going to vary. And like we've been saying, um, it just, I think, continues to shift maybe who people are excited about as candidates drop out or as different polling. And as people think about if their goal is to vote for someone they believe is going to beat the president, then I think that maybe what they're saying in a poll versus what they're saying is the candidate they like, I could see very well not lining up. Mm. Well, we're time. We're going we're gonna to redo this program, see what you think after the, uh, the primary election. So we'll be back here on the 4th after the, the election on the 3rd. Uh, we've been talking with Jonathan Choate uh, from SD7 Technologies in Logan. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Michael Lyons, Associate Professor of Political Science. Thank you. Pleased to be here, Thank Tom. Uh, Maddie Mortensen, our UPR News Director. Thanks. Thanks. And previously, we were talking with Shelly Giddings, Vice Chair of the Cache County Republican Party. And with you, keep those coming comments coming, upraxcess at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.